Welcome to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Mariah, and this is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. On today's episode, we have Panina McBrien. She's the executive director of the Edmonton Downtown Business Association, where she's working hard to secure the ongoing and renewed vibrancy of downtown Edmonton. Fun fact, she took on the role in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic in a time where downtowns across North America were grappling with the new realities and challenges ahead. Prior to joining the EDBA, she served um, both public and private sector clients across Alberta as a business strategist and a consultant specializing in marketing, communications, and stakeholder and community engagement. She's a transformational leader and a connector by nature. She's working hard to support Edmonton's economic recovery and resilience through innovative new initiatives and community collaborations with downtown stakeholders, the business community, and all three levels of government. Um, not only that, she didn't shout herself out, so we will do it here. In 2021, she was named one of Edmonton's top 40 under 40. And something really cool, I was listening to a podcast episode where she was featured, um, one about women uh, leaders in business in Edmonton. And they had her stand on an SUV on a parking lot downtown, which uh, is how she got that badass photo of herself. It the you mean the top forty under forty photo from Edify magazine? Yeah. Oh my goodness! It have you you've obviously seen the picture? Oh, the picture is gorgeous. Like yeah, it looks like she's floating in the sky. Yeah, she looks like a boss, and she's like she looks like she's in the skyline. So that you just kind of revealed the the secrets there. If I ever want to really up my social media game, stand on an SUV downtown. Yeah, well, and they didn't even tell her that she was going to be on the cover. She was just, they were just like, come take the photo here. And it was a surprise. Good for her. And go listen to that other episode. If you just Google her name, that podcast episode comes up. And I'm sorry to those podcast creators. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. One thing I did want to mention is that she's working from downtown. uh, And part of working downtown is you work in a city, which is fantastic. But there's also noise in the background of some of her answers. Fire truck people cars bikes all all the things of downtown so um it gets a little noisy but the answers are well worth it yeah i think it's kind of nice actually to have a little bit of noise and it, it's kind of on brand to have a little bit of vibrancy in the background of uh, of things she's talking about so yeah i thought it was uh, was kind of nice you live downtown how much noise are you seeing uh or hearing i guess downtown now I'm actually a huge fan of noise. I don't really like silence. I'm an odd duck that way. So we're lucky we're on the 15th floor of our building. So noise pollution is not too bad. But honestly, if we didn't have the noise, I feel like it would sound weird. (laughs) I love the background of Edmonton downtown. I agree. Yeah, you need a little bit like I I currently I sleep with a white noise machine. Um, But that's because I don't live downtown anymore. When I lived downtown, the building I was in concrete adjacent to other concrete buildings, uh, people, the cars driving by just echoed. I kind of liked it. It rocked me to sleep. Now that I'm, you know, living a more suburban lifestyle, I have to, uh, you know, put artificial noise into my system. So I fall asleep a little bit more naturally. It just reminds me of downtown, you know? Yeah. Talking about noise. Um, there's one thing that we talked about in the episode. Uh, we're going to go into definitions now. It's called SEPTED. Uh, it's an acronym that planners use a ton. 
Um, so if you ever heard them say that and you don't know, now you'll know. It's called Crime Prevention Through Environmental Design. Um, there's ways to design your city to make it more people-friendly. And we'll bring on an expert to talk about that in future episodes. The other thing that we get into is purpose-built rentals. It just means developing for the purpose of renting instead of selling. Purpose-built rentals are the thing right now because of interest rates. <laughs> hot topic. Really hot, hot topic. topic. Yeah. <laughs> Building to rent instead of renting because you couldn't sell any units. Yeah, 100%. Um, another definition we talked about, Edmonton Global. It's the new Edmonton Economic Development. So they rebranded Edmonton Global. Um, their vision is just to make the Edmonton Metropolitan Region. So the 14 member municipalities uh, Edmonton and all the surrounding cities and municipalities as well, um, to make it the choice, um, location for global investment. So they try to attract investment and quality jobs to the region. Um, just trying to strengthen, support growth, innovation, competitiveness. And then one more thing that we wanted to define, Panita talks about it quite a bit is the international downtown association, the IDA. I mean, a lot of parallels with IDEA, starting with the acronym, but really it's a knowledge center and a resource center for downtown advocates and people working to promote and enhance downtown. So they have things like example policies, ideas, inspiration that downtown advocates can adapt for their own situations. Um, downtown recovery, like we mentioned, is a hot topic right now. So it's a really good resource. They even have a section on planning, design, and infrastructure. So you know, I tried, I went immediately there on their website. It's all behind a paywall, members only. So maybe Panita can give me all the, the hot takes and the good information there. Um, they also have, you know, a job board certification programs. It's like a one stop hub for downtown advocates. So uh, that gives me a little bit of a question mark for all those listeners out there. Uh, some people have been asking idea if we would ever consider doing a job board. So if you are interested in that, shoot me an email because I'm not sure if that's something you all want. We've talked enough about that. Let's get into today's episode. Well, hello everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. We have an amazing guest with you today, uh, Panita from the Downtown Business Association. Welcome, Panita. Thank you. Happy to be here. So this podcast is all about development uh, and building up our cities, especially in Canadian cities, because there's not enough podcasts about Canadian cities. I'm a resident of downtown, like 90% of my life is downtown, and there's one project I am very excited about, and it's not development. It's like development adjacent related. It's the upcoming downtown park, and I want to get your thoughts on it, uh, what you're hopeful for the vision for it, uh, how you want to see it realized. Yeah, it. I would argue it is super development relevant. Like, UDI is doing a whole panel discussion event on it uh, later this month because it is such a catalyst for more residential that we know we need downtown, more more types of people who want to live downtown. It's massive. Like, I don't think a lot of people realize the sheer scale of this park. Like, it's not just like a little pocket park like we're used to seeing in our downtown. Like, it's several city blocks and entire sections of streets are, are becoming green streets and yeah it'll have a pavilion just like a real park yeah it's massive and and you know there's like there's at least three towers that i know for a fact are only going there because that park is going to be there so it's a really big deal and it's probably one of the things that i'm most excited about right now too 
Yeah, uh, from my understanding, there might be an opportunity for uh, downtown to have like a community league center that could be like a great event space for people, potentially maybe add commercial to a park, which I know is unprecedented for Edmonton, but definitely should happen. And like, how amazing for people to be able to buy right in front of our big downtown park. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so the Community League is working on that. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Um, hopefully there is some space, a community hall space, something like that. We need more of that for sure downtown. And the thing about the commercial opportunities, like that is an action in our economic action plan. I can't remember the exact wording. It's like to explore commercial and retail opportunities in our parks and public spaces. So I don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but I know it's it's high on the city's list of things they want to see happen in the park. So yeah, it could, could be huge. And we're seeing some success with that too. Like even Beaver Hills House Park, we've got El Beso and Pablo now that are like right on the edge there, which yeah, shouldn't be so novel, but it is. And it's, yeah, it's really, really cool. Yeah, their patio is fantastic. Like I love the expansion that they did over the pandemic and Paul Kane Park, which is not in downtown, but like it's now part of city center. Like it has commercial like a block and a half away and everyone goes, grabs a beer and then heads to the park and uses the, that's where you use the public washrooms. I feel like and it's, it's an extension of the park. And so why wouldn't we take the opportunity with this new downtown park? So I went on a walking tour um, probably about four or five years ago. That was about the downtown parks. And so we walked around. I think it was hosted by either the city or the DBA. I'm not sure which one, but we met at the old DBA office. That's where it started. And we walked through downtown and it was fantastic, except we were all looking at, you know, parking lots and spaces that were like, imagine the next park that's going to go here and that kind of thing. Uh, it was a little bit disheartening at that time. But what's changed since that point? Because um, one of the tour guides was mentioning that funding for these parks was a really big issue. How has that changed over the last five years? And how have we seen kind of the city contribute a little bit more to uh, the downtown park spaces? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I know for sure is we still don't allocate nearly enough money to parks and public spaces. I can't remember what the number was most recently. It's something like 3% of the city's budget or something like that. It's It's... Not nearly enough. So that hasn't changed. Um, but downtown specifically, I think a few things have happened. One, the CRL, the Community Revitalization Levy, Levy, has offered a lot more opportunities for investment in this kind of infrastructure. Like I call it infrastructure. I don't know if that's the right word. But yeah, because I think people recognize, decision makers recognize that something like a really great park and public space is a, is a huge catalyst for development. And that's exactly what the CRL is for. So I'm not actually sure if Alex Dakota Park would have been funded by the CRL, but um, I know the new Warehouse Campus Park is being funded through the CRL. So um, funding mechanisms like that, that sort of change the formula and change the decision making, I think make a really big difference um, in making sure that we can make these kinds of investments, especially somewhere as important as downtown. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, some of the draws that these public parks have, so some residential towers are um, being proposed close to the park because they want to be there. I, I am curious about um, what types of residential projects, if any, do you think we're missing any downtown? Are we seeing a lot of kind of the same projects go up or um, what What are your thoughts on, on the types of residential projects that we're seeing come downtown and what we could use more of? Yeah, and I hear a lot of criticism and, and complaints about this and I think a lot of it's valid like the, the most recent projects we've seen are all purpose-built rental 
which I think is responding to the market. There's, there's a lot of uh, appetite for purpose-built rental right now. So no issues there, I don't think. But it's a lot of sort of higher end, quote unquote, luxury, small units, mostly one bedrooms, maybe some two bedrooms, maybe a couple three bedrooms if you're lucky. Um, so yeah, it's not a lot of diversity in housing options for, for new construction, that's for sure. I think there's a few different reasons for that. I do think, unfortunately, that like the tax situation right now for purpose-built rental buildings is not great. Um, the city a few years ago decided to start taxing those buildings as a business instead of as housing. So the tax rate has gone up. Like I don't, even, I'm not going to attempt to remember the numbers, but it's it's something crazy. So um, any kind of like sort of student targeted or like more attainable sort of price point um, purpose-built rental buildings have been a lot tougher to get moving um, there's a couple happening though I know of a few that um, I think are going to be closer to around market value converting old office buildings um, is another way to get more uh, I don't want to use the word affordable housing that's such a big umbrella and obviously there's a lot of different stuff that fits under that but if we're just talking about like more attainable pricing um, like Capital Apartments on 108th Street uh, is a great example of one that was converted from an old office building. Way, way, way cheaper to build that, obviously. And then and then the units are, are a lot more attainable for especially young people and students and even seniors. So we need more of that. We need more low market housing. We definitely need more bigger units. Like, And, and the city's pulling some levers for that, I think, right now. Like, I, I think there's... Um, credits uh, available and sort of tax offset stuff that I don't understand um, available if you're putting three bedroom units in, but it's still not enough. Like, you know, we're lucky in a new building right now if we get like four three bedroom units. Um, so if we want more families downtown, which we desperately do, we want more people who are in different stages of their life to live downtown. Um, we need to make sure that the housing stock that's being created is for all types of people at all different walks of life. I think I have some pretty strong opinions on how we're incentivizing the types of developments we actually want. Um, I'm not sure everyone understands how critical the next 10 years are from an affordability standpoint and from an environmental standpoint. If we're going to reach our climate goals, if we're going to provide housing options, and we're going to make it so that people can actually access different housing options in different neighborhoods, we have to stop focusing on the wrong things. Like I think we create an insane amount of rules around things that don't really matter. And I'm not like, are you seeing that in the downtown as well? Yeah, a little bit. Like I don't get too in the weeds on on developments, but just the little bits that I've heard, like the one project that I'm aware of that is going to be close, not quite below market, but but pretty competitively priced, smaller units. Some of the design and articulation instructions that they've been given from the city, I think are a little bit ridiculous for what they're trying to build. And they really are trying to create something that's that's at a way more... Uh, accessible price point and yeah like I think what you're sort of alluding to is you know the city will tell them that they have to have like this type of material or like um, do this this and this on the ground floor even when like the, the context of the location of the building like doesn't really make any sense for for what they're being asked to do and um, it kind of is clearly placing more of a cost burden, which then, of course, affects their ability to price it affordably. So it's 
tricky. Like I get what the city's trying to do in a lot of cases. Like we're trying to have really nice looking, high quality buildings and create the sort of like experience and aesthetic that that we're looking for in our in our neighborhoods. But uh, yeah, like at what cost is is kind of the question that I'm left with a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I don't think we need to totally sacrifice our public realm from a aesthetic standpoint. But if we're going to make it so difficult for people to build sustainable buildings, buildings that are t- way less, you're taking down a building with asbestos and you're putting in something that is more airtight, that is safer for people, you can take that money and put it into three bedrooms. Like, what is our real goal here? If we're not doing the fundamentals right, then we're just putting lipstick on stuff, then the people who are actually using the building aren't getting the experience that we need them to have. Uh, but Ryan and I talk about the weeds of development all the time. Let's let's switch into something that I don't know a lot about. I know Edmonton's tech culture is starting to grow in downtown. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about how that came about, where we're going? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite subjects. We were way ahead of the curve in the days when Startup Edmonton was first formed and and those really great community leaders like Ken Batista sort of formed this community out of nothing, saw an opportunity, recognized the kind of sort of support and collaboration and um, connections and tools that these innovators were going to need to build basically a whole industry here. This is actually, it's so funny. I'm, we're going, we're doing this community leaders camp in a couple of weeks. This is exactly the kind of stuff I love talking about. Like, you know, people who see a window of opportunity or see a need in their community. And instead of sitting and waiting for like some government or some decision maker to do something, they just like do something. They just, they just grab it and, and run with it. So that's, kind of, that's where Startup Edmonton came from. I credit a lot of our sort of runway to being a, a, a tech leader as a city came from. Now we've got like jobbers, obviously the, the one that comes to mind for most people, like, you know, they're the closest thing to a unicorn we have here. And that's like thousands of jobs, the, the amount of money they've raised, that the number of customers, the number of countries that they have customers in, like, it's all just wild to me. And so the thing that I that I think a lot about, because it's not just them, like they're the ones that people know about, but I'm meeting new um, tech entrepreneurs, people who work for tech companies that I've never even heard of every day. Um, and especially so many of them are back downtown now, which is so exciting that these last few weeks. So I've been doing a lot of um, listening and learning from them to better understand like what we as a business association, like what do they need from us, but also what, it, what could the city and province and federal government be doing to better sort of encourage and foster that that growth? Because, you know, when we think about economic development in Edmonton, especially now that Edmonton Global is kind of our primary economic development body, they're focused on the region. They're focused a lot on natural resources and, and health and some other industries. We got to make sure that we've, we're focusing on all that potential um, in people's brains in our community. And so trying to make sure there's spaces for them to, to work if they need office space. Like, you know, Innovate is opening their new, Innovate Edmonton is our new innovation sort of startup economic development agency. I think they're still trying to figure out, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is that they're going to do, but um, they were spun out of uh, EDC. And so they're opening their new 
hub and headquarters on Jasper Ave and, and they'll have some space there for, for people to tinker and grow their business. And um, they have a whole bunch of different programs available for people who want to start and grow their startup here. Uh, and they're focusing on innovation of all types. So that work is so important right now because there's there's entire industries that exist now that didn't when people were trying to do economic development work for our city 10 years ago. And so how do we make sure that we're not just building an economy for what we know today, but that we're like grabbing all of these opportunities down the road and, and tapping into the, the growth potential of all these really, really smart risk-taking people. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because downtown historically has been kind of the headquarter locations for mega companies. Um, Mariah and I both have offices out of co-working spaces. So you have these little incubators that are actually focused on startups and small companies rather than the mega companies. So that's been a, a really huge uh, benefit, I think. I, I want to switch gears here and talk a little bit more about office life. So um, downtown recovery is obviously a, a hot topic right now as well. What have you seen? Um, downtown with regards to activity as some of these companies start coming back to work in the office? Yeah, it's been wild, I have to say. Like I, so I, uh, I started in this job in December of 2020. Uh, we were in our old location on Jasper Ave, and we've since moved into a location in, in Bell Tower. But the difference in what, and I've, I've been coming into the office, my whole team has, we all have our own office, we've got space and we've, we've been able to do that and just works out that we all prefer to be uh, downtown. And it's kind of hard to do this job, I think, too, if you're if you're sitting at home and you don't live downtown. Um, so we've been here the whole time. And very few, very few people have been here the whole time through COVID. So the change that we have seen over the last year has been absolutely wild. And it really is like here we are in sort of early to mid-April. It's like night and day, even from a month or two ago. Um, and, and it's not the volume from pre-COVID. Like, you know, we used to have a daytime population of what, what was estimated to be around 60,000 people. I think maybe at this point we're at like 20,000 people. But that is huge because for most of COVID, our daytime population was like maybe 5,000 people. I don't even know. I couldn't tell you. So it's been really, really interesting. It's been interesting to see so many of our like small businesses like restaurants who opened during covid against all odds um they have never seen this volume of customers like they don't even know what to do with themselves some of them which uh, is tricky uh especially because we're in a little bit of a labor crunch right now in the hospitality sector but um but it's so so cool to see like these these business owners and entrepreneurs who have opened against all odds or survived against all odds through through most of COVID and then and because they really are they're sort of the hub and the anchors of office culture right like the reason people are if they are excited to get back to the office it's like to go to their favorite lunch spot and and to hang out with coworkers and where do you go to do that bars and restaurants and cafes and so it's been really cool to see sort of that like office community reunited with with all of our our favorite hospitality venues and I don't know if we're ever going to get back to the the sort of day-to-day -day volume that we had pre-COVID that's the jury is still out on that but I think with the volume that we are getting back now and getting back to some form of normal combined with I think if we're going to get serious about increasing our residential population downtown 
things are feeling pretty good. Yeah. Mariah and I talked uh, a little bit because um, I take the train to come downtown quite a bit. And then I just saw it kind of gradually increasing in uh, people on it to the point that it seems like it's almost back to normal now when I come downtown. Um, I do want to tug on the thread there about, you know, the future of downtown. What, what are your thoughts? And this is a big question, but what are your thoughts on kind of the future of downtown if we continue to stay in this kind of hybrid model of some work from home, some not? Where, where do you see downtown kind of transitioning? Yeah, and what's been really cool for me since stepping into this role, like there's a whole industry of downtowns that I didn't know existed. So I've got colleagues now, there's an international downtown association. So I have colleagues who are my counterparts in downtowns all across North America who I get to to meet with and learn from regularly. I'm, I'm going to a conference slash fellowship program in New York uh, next month that I'm so excited about. And so learning from my colleagues, like this should be obvious, the downtowns that have a more even mix of residents and daytime population are the ones who are weathering the storm and and who have a future. Imagine that, right? So I think that this has really put that into focus for the city. Because I mean, I think developers already know this. I think even the business community probably already knows this, but COVID really spotlighted for us that we are not resilient as a downtown if we are relying on, like, like it's like any ecosystem, right? You need balance and, and each player and part of the ecosystem needs to sort of play an equal role. And right now our daytime population, our office workers who we rely on too heavily are, are taking way too big of a chunk uh, of that sort of reliance. So um, we need more residents. We need more events and festivals and things happening all the time. We need a twenty, a true twenty four seven economy. Um, we need to get back to our nighttime economy being being thriving. And and then maybe, just maybe, we've got a shot at being resilient and vibrant and still meeting all of our goals and and having all the businesses uh, that we want to keep because there's enough of a customer base and a community there to support it all. We've really got to get serious about residential development, like really. Uh, aren't you psychic? I was just about to ask how to bring back some vibrancy and bring back events and bring back people. Uh, and when you and I talked earlier this week, we talked about some of the things that you got coming up and I could not be more excited. Like I've already told at least 15 of my friends. Uh, so <laughs> let's tell everyone who's listening in what's, uh, what's on your plans for the next six months to help uh, bring people downtown. A lot of it is is us, like this is a big part of our job, but like just what other events and festivals and things um, that are happening. So I'll, t- I'll talk about both. So for us, obviously, uh, as we are speaking right now, we're in the middle of Downtown Dining Week. That's wrapping up soon. But the really cool thing about Dining Week is a lot of our businesses do so well with it that they end up keeping their, their special menus in place for a little while longer. Um, last year, Darinku had a bento box that they did for $20.00 that they sold, they sold something like 650 bento boxes in like four days. Like it was just, it was wild. So I think that might even still exist to this day. So supporting our restaurants, obviously is a huge, huge uh, priority of ours. And, and coming out of dining week, I think right in time for patio season to start, we're going to have all of those, those temporary patios that we've gotten used to seeing through COVID. They're coming back. The city is already uh, committed to making that program more permanent, which we're so, so excited about. 
Um, so definitely watch for a lot more patios. Um, we also at the EDBA are taking over Alfresco on 104th from the Community League. So it's been a volunteer run effort uh, for a couple of years. Um, so we're taking that over to give it a little bit more sort of resources and, and marketing and programming help. Um, and that's starting on June 25th. So it's, again, still small market and then programming every week. So we'll have a different theme every week around live music and child-friendly stuff. And hopefully we'll have Mural Massive back at some point to do a Saturday. So really, really excited about that series. It'll be 10 Saturdays. We are, you know what, this one's still a secret, so I'm not going to talk about it. But there is something coming at the end of may we're just waiting to confirm our funding for it before i don't want to announce it and then and then have it all fall apart it's like it's like talking about the playoffs before we actually make the playoffs um speaking of which if we make the playoffs that'll also be a really big deal <laughs> i literally said if when me and ryan were talking this morning and then ryan got mad at me i feel like i'm gonna get a phone call from someone at, at oiler's entertainment group now that i said that um it's a superstition thing. We know it's happening. I know. I know. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about that. Like just actually seeing the ice district like fully in its full form, even like during hometown hockey this past week. Um, it was so cool to see that space fill up with people and, and see so many kids come down. And yeah, so definitely just getting back to seeing all of our public spaces filled again. All of our major festivals are back. Like Taste of Edmonton came back last year, but they were kind of the only ones. Pretty much everyone else is back uh, now. Winterruption had a had a great great event against all odds, um, just these past couple of weeks, and yeah, it's just it's wild. There's a there's a lot happening in the ne- in the next couple months. So I'm going on vacation so that I have a little bit of a break because when I get back, it's gonna be it's gonna be nonstop. Okay, but things don't just happen. You need people to make them happen. From my understanding, your team is growing. Yeah, it's been really interesting trying to understand. Because things have changed so much for downtowns, our downtown, obviously, our role and what's needed of us and what's expected of us and, and what we want to do, I think all those things have changed too. I think there were there were times past, especially probably like 10, 15 years ago, where the Downtown Business Association was very much what comes to mind when you think of a business association. We did a lot of like networking events, mixers, barbecues, like it was really about bringing the business community together and um, advocating for business. I think that has changed for downtown associations across North America. I think we're actually a little bit behind, to be honest, like learning from my colleagues in other cities, you know, we're, we're a business improvement area, we oversee that business improvement area. And I think we're needed more than ever to actually tangibly improve the downtown experience and sort of more actively lead the things that we want to see happening downtown. It's not just about the businesses. Obviously, it all ends up benefiting the businesses and attracts more and helps keep the ones we have. But it really is about sort of supporting this whole downtown ecosystem. So to that end, um, we created one new position last year, uh, which is our partnerships and events coordinator. Um, So we're way more equipped now for when someone has an event they want to do. If they they don't have a lot of experience, we can really kind of hold their hand a little bit more through the process and help them access grant funding and we have our own small grant program that that we offer for anyone who's holding events or festivals downtown so that new human um her name's jessica she started in the fall 
awesome. Like it's just, it's already, the, the payoff is already there. I think part of the reason there are so many events happening this year um, is because we've been able to really sort of like attract them to choose downtown for one and then sort of hold their hand through the process and make sure that their events are success. Um, we launched a new website. So if you go there, we've got a whole events section, edmontondowntown.com. So that's awesome. And I just hired another new position this year. So an operations and special projects manager, which right now, most of what's in their job description, I've been doing. So it's things like trying to get the city to fix sidewalks that are like really busted up or, you know, staying on top of logging 311 complaints for graffiti, um, but also coordinating our litter pickup program that we do, which is a social enterprise um, partnership with Boyle Street. And we want to do, we want to get off the ground a new community safety outreach team. So I will now have another new human who will, who will sort of run and, and help us do all those things so that we can be a lot more active. And, and it's not just us, you know, nagging the city to, to do the stuff that we want to do, but we can actually play a more active role in, in solving some of these things. Uh, so Panita, big fan of transit over here. Transit gets kind of a bad rap in downtown. What? But, but I know there's some improvements coming and some improvements that still need to come. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it gets a bad rap because we don't have enough safe spaces for our vulnerable Edmontonians. Um, and so transit becomes uh, a really natural sort of shelter and, and space where people can just exist, especially when it's cold. And sometimes that comes with stuff that transit users don't necessarily want to see and experience, like, you know, open drug use and, and things like that. So it's, it's tough. And I know as a city, especially the city council, really believes in equity and that public spaces are for everyone. Um, so striking that balance is really tough, but we can't write off or ignore or sidestep people's feelings about their safety and um, making an experience that people want to have. So I do think the city's making some really good progress on striking that balance. And so one of the things they did, they just started last fall, is their COT teams, community outreach transit teams. Um, so there's, there's only two of them right now. Um, I just got a presentation from them yesterday, actually, one of the teams, and it is so cool. Not nearly enough resources uh, in this, something like this, but the, the ability that they have to sort of pair uh, peace officers um, who are, you know, transit peace officers, it's their job to kind of keep the peace in, in the transit uh, stations downtown and, and across the whole network, but pairing them with outreach workers through Ventero Traditional Healing Society. Some of the success stories they told us about, like just kind of what their day to day looks like, like it's really obvious to me that this is this is the kind of solution that we need, and and just those extra eyes and ears to make sure that everyone's feeling safe. And so one thing the city just did, uh, city council approved three point nine million dollars uh, in funding to improve the transit experience, mostly focused on downtown. So some of that went into cleaning. So they're they're upping their game in a big way on cleaning, which is part of the part of it, right? Picking up garbage, um, power washing around the entrances and all that kind of stuff. So you can definitely expect to see big improvement on that front if you haven't already. Um, but then it also was to significantly expand this COT model. So they're adding, I think, five more teams. Um, there's only two right now. So you'll see a lot more of these outreach teams out and about. And I think that it's a huge step in the right direction. It's not 
like most things with the city, it's not nearly fast enough, um, given the sheer volume of people that we've got using transit right now. But the volume too, I think makes a big difference. Part of the reason people have been, I think, dumping on transit over COVID is just when it's quiet, yeah, you maybe do feel a little bit more uncomfortable or more unsafe. So I think getting volume back and then making some of those key investments, I think are steps in the right direction. I agree 100%. I was going to ask you about that because I, I think a lot of the problem could go away just by volume of transit ridership. If there's more people on the trains, in the stations, I think as some of the perceptions of safety kind of go away. Um, can it support commercial spaces in the LRT stations? I've asked almost every single guest we've had on about this question and because my, my parents talk about you know the past of of uh you know they used to shop in lrt stations or i can't remember if it was central or churchill or wherever it was but there used to be shops and i know we've tried it a few times but you know is that something that that the dba is looking at or looking at supporting or how do we get more commercial spaces into our lrt stations if at all or is it more uh kind of an at-grade solution i hate the answer to this but the answer is unfortunately that the reason it hasn't worked in recent years is because of safety and security. And so, you know, some of the solutions I just talked about are also, we need those things and those investments and that to be working and that presence to be there in order to get back to, you know, to get another entrepreneur to try it again. Cause so Nate Box was the last one who tried it. Um, you know, they opened the borough, the, the coffee shop, I think it was in Central Station, probably about six, seven years ago now. And he really wanted to make it work. And and there could be more of that. But the city was just, I don't think, just wasn't providing the presence and the support that they needed um, in order to make it viable. Um, they were just uh, unfortunately dealing with too much theft and other issues in that space. Uh, and, you know, tunnels are like, I'm learning a lot about SEPTED, like, uh, community safety by design principles. LRT tunnels do not pass septic checks, right? Like there's like not great lighting, you know, not consistent natural surveillance and, you know, users filling the space. Um, it can be kind of dark and kind of lonely and there's lots of places to hide. And so it's really tough to make a go of it without serious investments in, in safety and security. So that is the unfortunate answer to that question. But if we get that right and and have a serious you know volume of transit users again, maybe, hopefully. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, and Ryan's heard me say this a thousand times, so sorry to Ryan. Uh, I used to sit on the Edmonton Transit Advisory Board. We did an audit of all the LRT stops. Uh, we did it from like an accessibility perspective. We brought uh, strollers and stuff, and did things on uh, like crutches and, and things. And really it came down to like, we need some money to make them uh, more modern, more up to date, but we need more people. Like we have to approve projects around LRT. We have to approve high density, medium density projects around LRT. Um, and I think this council really gets that. I I'm really excited about that. But until we get people, uh, those spaces that like Ryan and I are looking for, go give Nate Box some money uh, at a beautiful coffee shop that that's that's just not our reality right now you talked a little bit about the public realm and sidewalks i walk around downtown quite a bit <laughs> uh through bumpy sidewalks and uh parking lots and i just it blows my mind that 
with neighborhood revitalization in the city. Where are we? What, where is the city with our sidewalks? Yeah, I could talk about this for a whole hour, probably, um, and hopefully not upset too many people at the city along the way. But it's huge. Like we can't, you can't have a thriving downtown or Main Street or thriving area for humans without a really great sidewalk and pedestrian experience. You just can't. And active transportation too. Like scooters are a big part of this now. We are getting all of our sidewalks and back alleys actually, and a lot of our roads. Um, are up for renewal in the next 10 years. So what the city is trying to do is balance sort of like the full replacement, you know, neighborhood renewal piece with with the repairs that need to happen in the interim. And they're trying to be efficient about it. But I mean, as I think most Edmontonians know, the city and city council have heard a ton of complaints across our city about the state of sidewalks and neighborhoods across the city. So. I can't remember which councillor, but the council sent admin off to do a report on sidewalk maintenance. So they're working on that right now. And they are taking, they're taking an equity uh, approach to this to make sure that, you know, sidewalks are being repaired where it's most needed and where, where the groups that probably need the sidewalks the most, maybe they don't have cars, maybe they rely on transit, that those neighborhoods are getting their sidewalks repaired. The problem with that, from what from my interaction so far with that project team, is that they're not looking at downtown and our business districts as unique and separate from neighborhood sidewalk renewal. So what they've done basically, like, yeah, they're looking at, okay, which sidewalk areas are closest to transit stations and attractions and like, where are the hubs? But then they're also prioritizing based on equity. So when you look at it, the way they're looking at it, which is by like, household income essentially downtown doesn't register because uh, you know on paper and according to stat statistics canada we're like a, a quite an affluent neighborhood by property values and whatever and household income so then that deprioritizes downtown and so and this is all like i mean it's a long-term project they're only in the early phases of exploring this and trying to budget out what it would cost to properly repair our sidewalks proactively and consistently as needed so i really hope they fix this but, but based on my conversation with them, it was really, really frustrating because it was like, how can you look at downtown, like a neighborhood, like Pleasant View, and, and compare them like it's apples to apples? It's not even remotely the same thing. Like, do downtown and main streets first and foremost, top priority across the board, no matter what, then figure out how you're prioritizing all the other neighborhoods and sidewalks based on, you know, all these other factors. So... I hope they heard that message. I hope that is what we see in the report when it comes back. Like one takeaway is for sure, Parks and Roads does not have enough money to repair sidewalks. I know that for a fact. Like they told me what their annual budget is. I can't, it's like $5 million or something absurd. Like, I don't know how they could possibly address all the needs. So number one, yes, give Parks and Roads way more money to repair sidewalks, but then two, put downtown and Main Streets at the top of your priority list and figure out the rest later. Well, and downtown and Main Streets not only benefit those who live in the area, but those who interact in the area or who live in the area, but maybe don't have a home. Exactly. And that's what was wild as I was talking to this consultant and, and like the project team, like their intentions are so clear and their intentions are on point. You can't, yeah, you cannot think of downtown as a neighborhood because we are the hub. This is where you come when you need to pick up your H check and cash your H check. This is a, a community hub for our most vulnerable. 
at all times. Not to mention how many low-income people work downtown, visit the library downtown, like use public spaces. Like who lives here? We've just finished talking about this. Who lives here is such a tiny, tiny part of the downtown ecosystem. So I just, I really hope that we can get that focus on our infrastructure maintenance that we need because of the area and the city that we are and not just that we're like a neighborhood like any other. So that, that was kind of mind blowing. And hopefully no one's too grumpy at me over there when they hear this. (laughs) Well, hopefully they understand that we want to support them. Like we want them to have the money and the resources they need. Uh, one thing I re- find is really interesting, and this might be like too technical outside of a, from a development standpoint, is we talk a lot about setbacks and setbacks in development. And setbacks, this there's some people that think that like at four stories there should be a setback, and that creates a significant cost to development and actually makes the building a lot less sustainable from an airtightness perspective. And if we could take that money and put that into the sidewalks, like that would be a way better experience for the people actually using and interacting with the building uh, than an arbitrary like cake design for a building. Yeah, I don't really get it, to be honest. Like, I can see how if you're not a downtown and you don't like the idea of towers in your neighborhood, that a step back makes you feel better about it. But, like, I don't get it. Yeah, and shadowing studies show that it doesn't actually make an impact. Like, it's just a perception thing. It's it's a very expensive, unenvironmentally friendly solution to a problem, uh, which... Anyways, that's my <laughs> my infill rant of the day. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's go into another topic that is might be controversial. Um, and when I first started talking about it, I was anti it, and now I'm very pro it. So I'm laying that out on the floor for you before you get into it. But whatever you feel is fine too. Do you have thoughts on the gondola? There is the view that I had when I first started in this role when I didn't really know much about it. And and then there's where I think you and I have probably been on a similar journey with it. I didn't get it at first. It felt like a vanity thing. It felt like a like a billionaire's fever dream. Like I, I don't I didn't get it. And so um, the more that I've learned from that project team, the more that I've looked at studies and from other cities around the world, now that I've actually seen some of the renderings and the actual site plan of like where these stations are going, and I've like fully wrapped my head around the connectivity that it'll create between downtown and Old Strathcona, which first of all is completely insane in this city that we don't have like a clear and direct connection between downtown and Old Strathcona, other than the lovely uh, high-level streetcar, which you get for like three months out of the year, four months if you're lucky. So it's huge. The potential is huge. Like as an attraction from a tourism standpoint, it's obviously massive. As a sort of complement and enhancement to our our transit network uh, is huge. I think there's a lot of people who are skeptical about the fact that it's this, this privately owned infrastructure, but I mean, transit is privately delivered in cities all over the world, and it works fine. So I'm really, really, really excited about the gondola. I went on a similar journey as you. So I, uh, I'm i a big fan of the high-level line project. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Yeah, so it's like using the trolley line and enhancing it. 
you know, shout out to New York's High Line to uh, as a precedent there. So I was in the same boat as you. I was like, why don't they just fund the high level line instead of going through this exercise? But I'm on the same journey. I've I've come around. I think the gondola would be a fantastic project. Are there any other potential projects that you're keen on happening downtown? You know, we see renderings for like the Rossdale power plant getting redone. I saw something a couple of weeks ago about Michael Fair Park needs to look like this. And there's lots of, in the high level line, there's lots of interesting groups making these cool proposals. Are there any that you're really excited about? Well, all the ones that you mentioned just now. Yeah, for sure. Like I think the Rossdale redevelopment, there's some really interesting things happening there. If you, if you community members are, are exploring options for what will happen down there, I think the gondola is a big part of that. I think adding that sort of connection point and, and the volume that'll be passing through there, I think there's a lot that could still happen down in Rossdale. The Michael Fair Park thing you just mentioned, yes, that was like a great sort of grassroots example where the community league and, and an architecture firm that just moved into the neighborhood, HCMA, just said, what do we want Michael Fair Park to look like? And the timing is actually perfect because the city is working on uh, a facelift for Beaver Hills House Park and Michael Fair Park right now. So that's that's got me really excited too. Um, what was the other one you just said? Oh, high level line. So the really cool thing right now is, I mean, it's not cool, but the high level bridge desperately needs rehabilitation or of some kind or replacement, right? So the fact that that is on the horizon and something that city council is going to have to make a budget decision about is the perfect opportunity for high level line. Like if they can, can sort of give it the, the refurbishment that it needs so that it is a safe bridge. And through that, we can actually enable and fund the high level line, like what a massive win. So I think that group is probably really excited right now. I am as controversial as it has turned out to be. I'm really excited about the McDougal Hill Bridge. I mean, does it need to be quite so elaborate and sweeping? Probably yes. not. But yes, it does. Do I yeah, do I love it? Yes. Um, it's great. I mean, Home Hotel McDonald is is, you know, obviously a favorite of visitors of all kind, especially tourists. Like what a fantastic piece to put there to actually complete the funicular, um, make it more useful and functional to have that connection point and to not have this weird sort of cutoff point that we have right now on 100th Street for for active transportation and pedestrians. So really excited about that bridge. And yes, you're right. It does need to be a sweeping, gorgeous lookout, because why not? I was, Mariah and I talked about this before you joined, and uh, same kind of thing as the gondola. At first, we're like, oh, come on. Like, why does that need to be this this massive, luxurious bridge? But I'm I'm here for it now. I'm definitely <laughs> here for it. Um, what about the freezeway? That's the last one I'm, I got to ask you about. There's so many cool projects that are, like, proposed or happening downtown. The freezeway is that, like, you know, skating trail along the River Valley, along River Valley Road. Yeah, I don't know what's, I don't know that that's still a thing. Because I remember, I remember when the freezeway was first tossed out there, wasn't it 105th Ave? That, that it was like somewhat, yeah, I think the original, whoever it was, I think it was one of the Edmonton Project pitches along the, with the, like when the gondola became a thing. Um, and I, for some reason in my head, it was like 105th Ave. Obviously, River Valley Road does make way more sense. Yeah, why not? That sounds amazing. <laughs> Fun to ball, Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think what we're like really getting at here in this conversation is like, let's empower people to do cool things that they want to do in our city. There's the ideas, there's the passion. 
They just need an operations manager and an event manager from the DBA to help kick it off. <laughs> well, and actually, yes, yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll leave you with this. When I first started in this job, uh, an old friend of mine is now this like big shot investment trust guy. He manages like, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, mostly American money. They do have uh, properties in Edmonton, but they've essentially stopped building here recently. Uh, they haven't done a new building in a long time. And I was kind of I was kind of bugging him about this because they're doing projects all over the place, all over North America. And I was kind of like, what's it going to take? Like, what, what it, what's, what, what's missing? Like, when, when are we going to see your next project take off in downtown Edmonton? And he's like, you got to just do cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so wild 100%. to think about, like, it's people who, yeah, are literally managing and making decisions with hundreds of millions of dollars. But that is how they're thinking. They're looking for communities that are taking risks and that clearly have potential and that they see as being able to attract and retain talent and young talent and you know, communities that young people want to live in because we are the future of the housing market. And it really is that simple. And it's wild when you distill it down to that. Like, that's my message to everyone who's listening. Just go out and do cool shit. Yeah. I literally took my honeymoon to a city that was based around ice cream because my my husband... loves ice cream and he just wanted to go have ice cream from like six different places and it was a city doing cool things around ice cream so that we gave our tourism dollars to that city and we need to do that that kind of stuff we need to empower edmontonians to be able to do the stuff that i know they're possible of totally anyways i am not gonna ask the last question i'm gonna let ryan ask the last question because he saw something on your twitter page and i'll let him take it away (laughs) We have left the most important question for last. Okay, Panita, are you ready for this one? I I think so. I don't know. Your favorite cookie. What is oh, it? Oh, God. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, you cannot improve upon the perfect chocolate chip cookie. Anything else, once you start messing with it, you're just, you're changing something that is already perfect. So with the exception, though, of the brown butter chocolate chip cookie from Rosewood Foods. It's a slight tweak, slight tweak on a classic, perfect, chewy chocolate chip cookie that is like complete perfection. So that is my favorite cookie. Is is that something you're able to make at home? No. I mean, you could, but I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I can make the perfect, just like regular chocolate chip cookie, but the the brown butter is, uh, that's a whole different, yeah. And shout out to Rosewood. They have my favorite menu for downtown dining week. So, Oh yeah. I haven't even had their dining week menu. I was isolating for most of it. So I'm, I really only, I'm just catching the last few days here, but man, maybe I'll have to swing by. If you don't have lunch plans, go. It is so phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're one of my top picks on, on any given day. Just I've never had something from there that is an absolute perfection. Yeah. Um, okay, the last thing we do outside of the cookie is a call to action for our listeners uh, from our guests. So is there anything that you'd like to tell our guests you want them to know about, you want them to do that? It's Our, our listeners are mainly Edmontonians. We do have some from the States and fr- some from the UK and Brazil, but <laughs> it's we have a pretty big base here in Edmonton. Well, I already said go out and do cool shit, so I won't say that again. 
Um, I will say, wherever you are, maybe maybe you're going to come visit Edmonton. Um, we did launch our new website, which is edmontondowntown.com. We're really, really excited about it because it's really uh, a hub and a central place for anything and everything exciting that's happening downtown. So go to edmontondowntown.com. Any live music, any arts events coming up, all of our favorite restaurants. We've got like a guide to the best breakfast in downtown Edmonton, a guide to the best burgers. Uh, we're going to have patio guides soon. So um, go there, plan your trip downtown and uh, spend all of your free time and money downtown in the next <laughs> four months. <laughs> yeah, I, I could put a special request in. Can you do a downtown guide to your best cocktails? Because I will. Oh, yes. I'll do the whole list. <laughs> yes, we will. I will write it down. Hopefully my team listens to this. We will We will make that happen. Oh, well, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with Ryan and I today. I know you are off for a mini vacation before you kick off this roller coaster of an exciting summer. And yeah, I really appreciate your time. No, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Perdita. So I want you to admit that you have a crush on Panita. Oh, that's not even something I would deny. And it's not just the photo from downtown from her top 40 under 40. Like she is a remarkable individual. Yeah, she is brilliant on top of everything. Incredibly smart and poised and graceful. And uh, she's everything I want to be. So yeah, no. Yeah. She's one of my favorite guests that we've had so far. Mostly because I have a huge crush on her professionally. Yes. And personally. Goals. She just seems awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was it was unbelievable. The best part was that, like she smashed us in between a couple meetings. Um, so we had like a limited amount of time to record. Uh, I think we did it in maybe one take. There was very few edits that needed to be done. She's, you know, she has a background in communication. So she's obviously very refined. But boy, is she intelligent as well. So I think that came off uh, fairly easily. I think I might have a crush too. Everyone should have a crush on her. Absolutely. We're very lucky to have her in Edmonton. Yeah. There's a couple of things that she was talking about that I wrote down uh, with a lot of exclamation points in our Google Doc as we were going along here. But the first, she compared downtown to an ecosystem, which I am here for. Uh, you know, ecosystems, they all have to work together for the benefit of the greater good. That's kind of exactly what downtown is. Um, but a lot of that kind of points to a need for more residential. And I think that's kind of evident with what's happened over the last two years when office towers are quite empty, right? Oh, a thousand percent. I spent, I was lucky enough over the Easter weekend to go visit my brother in Vancouver and my family does like an annual trip to go see him. And everywhere we went was busy with like people of all ages, all backgrounds, all abilities. Like we went to a couple comedy shows, a drag show, a couple dinners out and it was amazing to see all those people. And then on our drive out to the airport, we drove through some more residential only neighborhoods and it felt really quiet. And I was like, this is why you need both in all neighborhoods. Otherwise it doesn't feel alive. It feels very isolating. Um, and so I'm very grateful for the downtown uh, grant that went ahead over COVID because I think 10 towers are going up because of it. Uh, but we need more and more in all the nodes and corridors too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way to throw that in there for sure. But yeah, focused on downtown here. Um, I actually, you know, I think the messaging for downtown gets a little bit uh, 
like misconstrued because downtown's often referred to as the most densely populated neighborhood in Edmonton or has one of the highest populations of of any neighborhood in Edmonton. So we kind of assume that like lots of people live downtown, but when and I mean lots of people do live downtown, but with the amount of services and businesses that kind of depend on people being downtown, there's not enough people living downtown, right? No, 100%. Uh, we kind of got into the episode that I feel like I have like 500 restaurants at my doorstep, but I can't go to 500 restaurants myself and <laughs> daily people to go make them uh, viable. And yeah. I've seen them over the past few years, like they were hurting. Yeah. They, they did a lot of pivoting. Um, so yeah, come downtown and support some of our awesome businesses. Their food is fantastic. Yeah, or come to the farmer's markets or the alfresco market, which again, Panita mentioned that it was run by volunteers. Can you actually believe that? It was so well run and so organized and that was done by volunteers? Yeah, hats off to the team that volunteered and put it all together because I went probably five or six times last summer. The live music was amazing. Uh, It really felt like a city and in the time where you know, the pandemic was getting to us all. It was like refreshing to be outside and be around people again. No kidding. I think I think about the regulatory hurdles that you have to do. That you need to like close down streets and bring all these events and venues and, and people into the space. And that was all done by volunteers. You know a thing or two about running volunteers. Uh, it's not always easy. So hats off to the Alfresco market being completely volunteer run. Wow. Yeah, it's. It's incredible. I'm like downtown, living downtown, working downtown. We both have lived and worked downtown. There are people, but there's also a lot of parking. And so I'm always surprised when I hear people talk about, I don't know if I can go downtown because I don't know where I'll park. I promise you in Edmonton's context, there is parking within a block of wherever you want to go. Wherever you go. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. At all times. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I park when I drive downtown, which sometimes I do because I'm, I tend to be late for things. Uh, I can park across the street from my office literally every single time I go, I'm paying for it, of course, but I, there, there's always a spot open right across the street from my, uh, from my office. Yeah. And I think in the episode we referenced a couple of resources to find parking. Did you find anything else? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, Two apps, uh, one of which I use, not in Edmonton, but it's more of a North American thing. It's called Spot Hero. So it you plug in where you're going between which times, and it'll show you the available parking spaces. You can even reserve one in advance. Uh, it, it does apply to Edmonton as well. I've never used it in Edmonton because, like I mentioned, I've never needed to. But pretty much every major city, um, the Spot Hero app works. Um, Edmonton's ePark app, I actually think is pretty good. Um, the only thing I hate is that it doesn't alert me uh, to shut off my parking. I always have to do that manually and I always forget. So, you know, you win ePark, you're getting my extra couple cents for uh, for overstaying my welcome on my parking. Have you ever used the ePark or I think there's another one called Honk Mobile that you can use? Yeah. I use ePark all the time. I've had nothing but good experiences with it, except for one time where I was running late to a meeting because post-pandemic or middle of pandemic, wherever we are right now, um, ePark was like, you need to update your password. And like my memory is okay at best. (laughs) They needed me to put my old password in 
to create a new password and then a new password they wouldn't give me whatever algorithm they needed how many uppercases special letters whatever <laughs> so uh, i instead of using the app i had to go pay at the physical terminal which was like very frustrating i haven't done that in a long time but yeah it feels so weird to go up to the terminal and do it i had the same problem i got a new phone so it didn't save all my passwords and i you know, I also don't remember my passwords. So same, same situation, you had to go up to the machine and like even remembering how to use those machines was was kind of difficult. We do everything on our phones now. Yeah. And then I, I do think there's one more app called Zipstall that shows you all public and private parking. So yeah, if you're coming downtown for an event or for a farmer's market or whatever, just coming to walk around downtown and check it out. I promise you there's parking wherever you're going. Yes. Yeah. And Come and see other things that are happening downtown. So we referenced the downtown park that's, uh, I believe it's like two football fields uh, in space, which is crazy. So I'm very excited for that to go forward. Is there any other projects that you're hoping or excited for it to go forward? Oh, I mean, there's so many. We talked a little bit about the high level line in the episode. That's like my favorite one because... You know, I went to New York once and I saw the High Line and was blown away. And, you know, the craziest thing about the High Line is it's attracted development around it now. So famous architect Zaha Hadid, like, designed this really cool building that, like, integrates directly into it. So um, it's basically a piece of art right next to this old, you know, trail line or uh, rail line that's now been kind of repurposed for uh, for public space it's awesome so big fan of the high level line um the freezeway i'm a fan of that as well it was a pilot project uh like five six years ago and now it's permanent at the victoria skating oval i i like it it's a small little oval but it's well lit and it's kind of jovial and at christmas time it's kind of cool lots of kids are on there so yeah big fan of the freezeway the rossdale power plant there's so many things you can do with it I like it's such a beautiful landmark and I'm so frustrated every time I drive past it or walk past it. I'm like, this is such a cool event space or it could be such a cool market. What are we doing here? Like, I'm sure someone's willing to buy it and do something with it. Did you do did you take the tour when they were giving out tours the last couple summers or two summers ago? No, I missed it. Were you able to go? I did. Yes. I t- it, the inside is spectacular. First of all, um, they have all these old, they have like the original computers that are in there too, which looks like, you know, when you think of like old Batman shows from like the seventies or whatever, and they're like operating on these gigantic computers, really cool, really cool space on the inside. I agree. Um, I remember them mentioning that it to even get it up to current building code standards is just financially unfeasible. So there's reasons why it's not uh, being used for event spaces and that kind of thing. But my goodness, that would be an absolute landmark of a project. Yeah, I think the moral of the story is a lot of Edmontonians have really cool projects they want to do. I think back to that Edmonton project that got the gondola where it is right now. Um, There was a cool like hot springs pitch that was out there that I really liked. But like, Let's just make a system that we get out of each other's way to let cool projects happen and pilot around the city because downtown needs it. Multiple different communities need it. We have Edmontonians willing to take the risk. Like, let's let it happen. More pilots, 100%. Uh, The last thing we got to end on here is the same thing as what uh, we asked Panita at the end of the episode, but favorite cookies, you and I are both cookie monsters as well, which we didn't really get into, but yeah. Tell me about your cookie addiction, what, where your faves are. Let's do yours first. Cause I think mine's going to be very controversial. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Shocking. You're going for the shock factor. Yeah. I have two <laughs> favorites, uh, in downtown, uh, Dosk. Um, they have a morning glory cookie, which is unbelievable. I, and it's like, it, it's nice and big. It's an expensive cookie, but oh, is it worth it? So, um, I used to sit at Dosk almost every single morning when I lived downtown and I talked myself into multiple cookies there for sure. Secondly, cookie love. Uh, they have an espresso cookie. I used to work in that building where cookie love is. So, oh boy, every morning you walk by, you get a coffee, a double espresso or an espresso chocolate cookie. And you head up for, uh, for your day hopped up on about 30 grams of sugar before you even start. But those are my two favorites. I got to hear your controversial one. So I actually don't love cookies. <laughs> what i'm sorry i I, so i really i like pastries or anything salty there is this pastry at lockstock it's like a queen the something uh i don't even know how to say it i butcher it every time i go in but it's flaky and buttery and it has a berry inside of it they also have these like cinnamon knots which are not called cinnamon knots because they have real pastry names for all their stuff and I am just a common person that don't doesn't know how to say the names of anything but the, all their pastries are fantastic but yeah I mean if I'm going for a cookie it's usually an Oreo it's not <laughs> and I know there are way better cookies out there that is a controversial take you made me wait for that to say that you liked Oreos I'm kidding I do agree with you pastries and Lockstock has great pastries for sure they have a good breakfast sandwich too I think but yeah we've talked about that a lot what about um, restaurants uh, my favorite restaurants downtown yeah you have 500 at your doorstep you must have a few favorites yeah there are so many great ones downtown um, so I really like Baiju I'm going to Durinku tonight which I'm really excited about uh, you can't go wrong with any of the like mutually no triplet things that are great. I haven't gone to them all, but they're real, they have an olive oil cake there that's to die for. And then, oh, I'm going to miss out. Billy Sticks is so good if you haven't gone there. I like that was my whole university was Billy Sticks. And then they opened up downtown and I just, I was dead. I was so excited. And then uh, one of my great friends works at Dosk downtown and he's always trying new things and I get to try out some of his recipes. Um, so yeah, he's an amazing chef. Moral of the story is there's lots, but have you been to Rosewood? So I've been there for coffee and pastries. It's unbelievable. Uh, but I haven't done their lunch or dinner yet and they look so good. Have you gone? I haven't. So many people are talking about it though, but I haven't gone there yet. So that'll be next on my list for sure. Yeah, sounds like we need to go for a coffee date. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> Who are we shouting out today? Uh, I want to shout out Jesse. He's a architect friend of mine. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, he said that he got started getting into the podcast. And he's on episode four. So thanks for listening, Jesse. Thanks for listening. Yeah, when he gets to this episode, it'll be a nice surprise. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully soon. Thanks for listening, Jesse. And thanks for listening, everybody else, too. <laughs> Um, Mariah, I know you got a busy day, so yeah, let's, uh, let's end it here and, uh, hang out with you on the next one. Cool. Thanks for spending your morning with me. See you later.